0: So let's pray before we get started. Father, I do thank you that even though it is different and it was a little bit um, odd and almost chaotic to, to be able to get here today, that we do have a place that we can still come together That that is large enough and set up well enough that we could not only um, have our, our Bible study, but we could watch our video, we could do all the things that we, we had set out to do in the sanctuary. And I just thank you for that. God, as we are studying Ruth, as we open up chapter two, I just pray that you would open our hearts to the lesson that you have for us. I know that the lesson that I learned was, was very different this time through than it has been even in the past when I've taught Ruth. And I'm just grateful that your word is new to us and, and can give, teach us new things every time that we open it. God, just be with our students as they are at school right now, but, but use them. God, make, uh, help them to be bold in their faith. Help them to uh, latch onto it as their own. In the way that that we see Ruth does, God and help help them to just find uh, to find salvation, to find renewal, to find you in whatever it is that they're doing. Amen. So, quick review. It's kind of you guys are all spread out, so sorry. <laughs> uh, quick review. We started out with um, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons. They fled from, from Bethlehem into the land of Moab. Moab, the land of their enemies. And they they fled because of a famine. And then they stayed there for 10 years. And in that 10 years, Elimelech died. The two sons died, and it was Naomi left with her two daughters-in-law. Naomi became, um, uh, Naomi learned that that she could, it was safe to go back, that there was food again in Bethlehem, in, in Judah. And so she decided to go back, but she decided that, Ruth and Orpa did not need to go with her and so she did all she could to convince them to stay. Orpa stayed and Ruth said no, I am going with you and so so then we get to the part where I'm I'm cheating and doing um, starting with one of the verses from last week's lesson but if So we're going to look, starting at Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. And um, I'm reading out of the ESV. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so this verse doesn't just set the stage for where we're going to study today. It really sets the stage for the rest of the book. Uh, it, it closes the chapter on the past. It closes the chapter on Moab. It closes the chapter on the famine. And it opens the door to the blessings that God is going to give. Um, we, and, and if you... I meant to mention in my review, if you recall... The author of of Ruth, he kind of turns the attention away from Ruth at every opportunity. This again, in verse 22 here, he's doing the same thing. It's it's Naomi returned and Ruth was with her. Um, Ruth is again intentionally being pushed to the background. She's just going along for the ride, basically. The, but the author does teach us, or does remind us of three things about Ruth in this verse. So first we know her name is Ruth. We know that she's from Moab. And we know that she's Naomi's daughter-in-law. So there's at least a little bit of attention given to her. Those are all things we already knew. But but the author is just reminding us, oh yeah, she does exist. She isn't just, you know, just a bag that's being carried. Um, but this verse gives us, I've been, I've been having you think about the, the five W's and the H. This verse gives us two of those. It gives us the, the when and the where. So where are they going? Well, they're leaving Moab. They're going to Bethlehem. So our where is Bethlehem. And what about our when? When is this happening? The beginning of the barley harvest, so they they returned to Bethlehem or are returning to Bethlehem, um, and and the the irony of the name Bethlehem be, meaning house of bread, and so here she's returning after a famine to the house of bread. Just side note there but they're returning just in time for the barley harvest to occur. The barley harvest would have been in the spring, probably April, early May. This would have been the first crop that would have been harvested in the year. Um, Wheat would have come next and and things like that. And so we see Ruth chapter 1, we started with the famine, and now we close that chapter with a harvest. It just gives you the picture of what's to come. Of, of the that first chapter being famine and death and loss, and here we've closed it with a harvest and what else is coming? It gives you that excitement about what's coming. So if we go on and read, we're going to read what our actual passage for today was supposed to be, which is Uh, chapter two verses one through seven. I'm using this one because my other one's too big. It made the music stand fall. So uh, (laughs) now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So in in verse one there, we're introduced to a new character. He doesn't pop back up until and until later but the author thought it was important enough to mention him in verse one and so so our who we can add Boaz to our list on who so let's take a look at Boaz when it says um, the the ESV says a worthy man that's um, kind of a man of standing uh, some versions will say that it's it's both both wealth, but also of influence. This is the same term that's used about Gideon in Judges chapter 6. It's also used in reference to Saul's father, to, to Jeroboam, and even to David. Um, when you think about most of those men, you think about a warrior, a champion, a, a military type of, of person. So there must have been some aspect of that that went with Boaz. Um, but the name Boaz means in the strength of the Lord. And so even, I ask you in your homework, and I'm, we're not going to go into it, but but even when you think of just the meaning of his name, you can compare in the strength of the Lord to, to sickly and puny. And I'd those things about about the sons of Elimelech, the meanings of their names even. And so so think about everything about him as as you're answering that question in your small group. Um, and then we're going to read Matthew chapter one, verse five to learn a little more about Boaz before we do, just to let you know it's a spoiler is coming. You're going to find out the end to the book of Ruth by listening to what, what's gonna be read. <laughs> so. Matthew 1.5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. So who was Boaz's mother? Rahab, right? And what is Rahab known for? She was a she was a prostitute. But she was so she was a prostitute in Jericho. And when the Hebrew spies came to Jericho to to spy it out to and and scout out Ready to defeat Jericho, she protected those spies uh, from from the, the Jerichonians, I don't know what you'd call them, the men of Jericho, <laughs> who were going to uh, who were going to to try to kill them. And so I gave Joshua two eleven to somebody. Joshua 2.11, as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And that's the words, of, um, the words of Rahab. And so she is, she is, at this point, she is claiming the Hebrew God as her own God and so that's something that that Ruth has in common. I I didn't write down the the verse. I think it's 16 1:16 where she says your God will be my God. So the mother of Boaz and Ruth already have something in common with each other even before Ruth and Boaz have have met each other. So Boaz we know that that his name means in the strength of the Lord, but we know from Matthew chapter 1 that he is the son of a prostitute, the son of a non-Israelite, but that he is that man of standing and prominence in Bethlehem. And so the author the author has shared who Boaz is right up front at the beginning of the chapter, he, he wanted us to make sure that we knew who Boaz was. But we have to remember Ruth doesn't. Ruth has no idea who this man is. She has just arrived. She is hungry. They had nothing. And so, so we then go back, in, um, back to Ruth and Naomi in verse 2. And now we see that you know, this one, this, this verse, by the way, or these, yeah, this verse is one of those reasons that I highlight even the pronouns in mine so that like the roof I, I haven't in this one because I did it in my version that's on my iPad, but um, the the she's can get Get you back and forth. So if you do one in pink and one in purple, then you know which she it is that's being talked about. That's part of why I do, um, I highlight the pronouns, but not everybody does. So, um, But then we go back to Ruth and Naomi, and we note that this is the first time in our book, named after Ruth, that Ruth becomes our main character. Um, but at least... But but she's still overshadowed a little bit by our man of valor, right? But she, she says to Naomi, let me go and glean. Uh, it, it's, it's a very, uh, it, when you look at the Hebrew, which I didn't look at the Hebrew, I looked at the commentary that looked at the Hebrew. But when you look at the Hebrew, it's a very abrupt statement. It's let me go and glean. And that would, the reason for that is it implies that not much time has passed from the time that they arrived to the time Ruth is asking this. But it gives you that sense of urgency that Ruth had. She was hungry, and this was the only way they could get food. Um, and, and so, food is the top of their priority list. But we're going to pause for just a minute. This is the part that God really changed the way I I read this passage. Um, so, So we're going to look back at the mindset of Naomi and the mindset of Ruth. So Ruth is, again, the author reminds us, Ruth the Moabite, reminds us that she is an enemy of God because there were specific rules we looked at a couple of weeks ago, those specific rules laid out about the Moabites, right? But we also know that Ruth is just dearly loves Naomi, has dedicated everything she has to Naomi. And she would give up anything and everything for her. And in fact, she already has given up anything and everything for Naomi. And then we have Naomi. If you look back at Ruth 1, 20 and 21, what is Naomi's mindset in at this point? Bitter, bitter. she's bitter. She is back home, but she is bitter. She is angry at God. And, and have you ever spent time with someone who's bitter? You don't have to answer that for real. I know that can be an embarrassing question to ask sometimes. But what are some characteristics, when you think about someone who's bitter, what are some characteristics you think of for them? It's all-consuming All-consuming. Mm-hmm. Cynical. Cynical. gloomy negative negative it's overall irritable and hard to get along with <laughs> irritable and hard to get along with and so here you got Naomi she's gloomy and she's consumed and and angry and and just bitter um one of the things that that Ray and I talked about was was that, that that there's almost that you can almost feel like someone who's bitter it always appears to us that someone who's bitter almost feels entitled to something because they feel like they've already given everything, and now it's their turn they deserve something in return, or they're waiting for something so they can get out of that anger um And so when you think about all that with that mindset for Naomi, her priority isn't food. Her priority isn't survival. I mean, it is to an extent, but that's not the first thing she wakes up thinking about in the morning. She is overwhelmingly angry and bitter and, and gloomy and depressed and hard to get along with. Now, I do not believe that Ruth asked Naomi if she could go and glean so that she could get away from Naomi. That's not what I'm saying. But, but there, there is a level of, I have to do something, because I came and followed this woman, I gave up everything I had, and she's not even helping me figure out how to eat. So Ruth asks permission to go and glean. Um, I, and I asked in your homework about the why do you think she asked, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some of those answers in your small groups. But, but what I do want to say is we know that Ruth did not wait for Naomi to take care of, to take care of not just herself, but, but of Ruth either. Ruth takes the initiative to go and, and take care of both of them. And she does not say, notice, she does not say, why don't we go? It's, can I go? Can I go and do this? She does not expect Naomi to go with her. Um, And just putting, giving a little bit of historical context, at this point, we have to remember, Ruth was a Moabite not that we can forget, because the author reminds us at every turn, but Ruth was a Moabite, so was hated by Israelites. Ruth was a widow, and, and so there was a difference between the, the way that a woman was treated who was a widow versus who was a virgin. And I'm just going to leave that at that. But this, these things would have made her an easy target for some men. But I want us to take a look at what it is that Ruth is asking to do. So I gave somebody Leviticus 23, verse 22. And when we reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clear riddance of the corners of the field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou shalt gather And any gleaming of the harvest thou shalt leave unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And then uh, Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheep, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And so what we see here is is a couple of things, but we see this concept of gleaning was put in place by God, by the Hebrew God, not the Moabite God, the Hebrew God, to show compassion to widows, orphans, and foreigners. And Ruth met that criteria. So the... The reapers were told not to harvest in the corners, not to go through a second time. If they dropped something, to leave it behind. Um, those, are, those are part of the law of God written, and these are not the only two verses where it talks about gleaning. There are several more, um, but it's written in the law of God to protect and show compassion people like Ruth and Naomi. Uh, But we have to recognize it was in God's law, not in Moab's law. Ruth had to learn what gleaning was from somewhere. And so think on that too. Think about your mindset of Naomi and then think about think about that, um, that idea that Ruth had to learn what gleaning was from somewhere. So, as you're thinking on that, gleaning was not a handout. It may sound like it, oh, leave that that's in the corners, if you drop it, leave it behind, somebody will come through and pick it up. I, I live out in an area surrounded by farms, We drive past farms to go anywhere. The end of our street, we live on a cul-de-sac. The end of our street, you can see, currently, soybeans and corn in two fields from the end of our street. Um, And so while the methods of harvesting have changed significantly from the time of Ruth to now, the The methods are different, but but even the even the Amish farms that we drive by they're using tools and and machines of some sort to to collect their grain. Um, sometimes, right after that farm that currently has the soybeans and the corn, sometimes when we go to the bus stop at the end of the street for the kids to be picked up or dropped off at the end of the day, You'll sometimes see a few uh, you know, leaves off the corn stalks that have blown after the harvest. Occasionally, there will be a, a corn cob on the road, but the, the corn cob has nothing. There are no kernels left on those corn cobs. They are picked clean. Um, the, that's all that remains after these machines are working and the wind is blowing but there is not a single piece of grain to be found on our street from that harvest that's that's a street width away, right? So at the point in time when Ruth takes place, harvesting was done by hands. They would have had tools, but the harvesters would have intentionally left some behind because that was the command from God. So humor me for a second. Close your eyes. We're gonna put yourself into Ruth's shoes. So you're standing in a field. You are watching these strong men with tools that are harvesting grain from the field. Some are cutting it, some are picking it up, some are carrying it to later be threshed. They are picking up grain by the arm load. And then imagine the field when those men have walked through it, have finished harvesting it, it won't be completely bare, but there's not a lot left behind. And there are going to be a lot of women and even possibly children who are out there trying to gather what remains. And instead of picking up the grain by the armful, they're picking up one or two stalks at a time. And all the while, you're Ruth, you're bending down, you're leaning, you're picking up. Hopefully you have a basket or, or some sort of way of carrying the grain that you pick up but you're having to carry that the whole time as well because you don't have a place to go and just dump it and come back for more. So open your eyes. This is the work that Ruth was asking to do. This is the hard work that Ruth goes and says, let me go and do this for you, Naomi. Imagine the humility that that takes. We know the outcome because we can flip a few pages and keep reading. Ruth has to live it. She has no idea what's gonna happen, but she needs food. She needs to eat, so that's what she's, she's gonna do. Um, some other, uh, other ideas about this. The fields were outside the walls and the gates of the city. So you have the the city of Bethlehem would have had walls similar to those that, that Jericho had that we mentioned before. They would have had to come out of the walls of the city, out of that safety of the city and walk to get to the fields. So um, when when I was working as an engineer, I was in a male-dominated field. It was not uncommon to be in a meeting and be the only woman in the room. I did work with several other women, but um, but I worked inside a federal building. Everyone that entered the building, it was post 9-11. Well, my first semester was pre-9-11, but right after that, uh, it was post 9-11, and so every person who walked in had to go through a metal detector. Every single bag had to go through an X-ray machine. It was. It, it, I knew that I was completely safe while working. And I also knew that, that even though I w- worked in downtown Louisville, I would not have been at the office last week if I were still working there. Uh, that was right in the heart of all the, all the protests and things. But I knew I was safe to go across the street to the parking, lodge, parking garage to get my car and go home. Ruth wasn't so lucky. She was going to work. She was gonna be surrounded by men both in her travels and her working. She was working in the midst of other people that were trying to get the same grain that she was going for. And then she had to guard and protect everything that she gathered. And remember, she was a Moabite. The author keeps reminding us of this, but we sometimes forget that. She was hated by the Israelites because of where she was born. So when she says, um, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor, she knows from the beginning that she has to receive compassion from somebody in order to be successful. We mentioned previously that idea of the, the hesed, that, that loving kindness, that compassion. Ruth is counting on that hesed from someone. So she's showing it to Naomi, but she is counting on receiving it. She has to. She has no choice. And Naomi tells her, okay, go. Not, we'll go together. Not, I'll go with you and we'll protect you. But then there's that that attitude of Ruth that we've seen. When we think about that mindset of Ruth, Ruth does not approach this task. I mean, it is a necessity, but her mindset going into it isn't trudging along, I have to do this, I'm gonna go get myself killed while I'm trying to protect this woman that I love. She thought of this as a privilege. And so the thing I want you to walk away with today, even though we're not done, so one of the things I want you to walk away with today is to think on on this question for this week and think about it for yourself. Is there anything in your life that you should be looking at with this type of an attitude where it's not just a necessity, but it's a privilege? So on my, this is my Ruth Binder, and on it and it's hard to read so I'm going to read it to you but it says the burden of housework becomes a delight when viewed as an act of worship to your king and an expression of love to your family when we got married Ray and I made a deal he took care of the outside the mowing the weed eating those types of things and I did the laundry that was in our, our we, we joke it was in our marriage contract I don't like to do laundry. It is such a chore. Mondays are my laundry day, and so, or most of the time, Mondays are my laundry day. The kids know that. They know that's when I do mine and Ray's clothes, and if they want theirs, they either have to have it out there, or they have to pick a different day. I'm not going to get theirs. They're responsible for putting it in the washing machine. but. Um, But even yesterday, here I am, 8 o'clock. Well, it was more like 9 o'clock because we had life group last night. But 9 o'clock, I'm home, and I'm folding the last load of laundry out of the dryer. And I'm just like, I just want to be done for the day. I can't believe I'm still doing this. Why is this sock turned inside out? They all are. (laughs) For the most part but but i i had to stop myself and i had to think about the privilege that i had to be folding laundry cuz number 1 it wasn't out mowing i mean that's one good thing but but my family had clothes to wear enough clothes to wear that i don't have to wash them every day i can wash them once a week and if i miss that day because i'm i'm Subbing or doing something else, it's okay because they still have more. Right? I had to take that moment and I had to recognize the blessing that I had received to be able to fold that laundry and to be able to turn that sock right side out. You probably didn't wash them on the rock. <laughs> I didn't. I had a machine that washed them and dried them for me. I mean, So there are tasks in your life that you must do. But how can you take those tasks? How can you look at those tasks and say, "This is a privilege. This is a blessing from God." How am I going to worship God and thank Him for this task that I'm doing? Somebody told me as you're turning those socks inside out, pray for that person. You know, It, it was raised socks. And it gets hard when it's your husband's socks and he's, all, he's 39 years old and he still turns his socks outside in. When he, so. <laughs> so he got a lot of prayer yesterday. <laughs> but but that's, that's one of the big challenges that I want you to walk away with today is how can you look at those tasks you're doing with that mindset that Ruth has? Then we get to, to, the, to verse 3. And she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. The, the NIV says, as it turned out. The, the ESV here says, she happened to come. Literally, when you look it up in the Hebrew, it means her chance chanced. This is where people would look and and be like, what a coincidence. We already know Boaz is a relative because the author was smart enough to tell us that at the beginning. And here she just so happened to come to his field. Imagine that. But what this really does, it wasn't by chance. What this really does is points to the hand of God intervening on her behalf. God is sovereign. God created the world. God has authority over all of it. And he can control everything, even down to the field she just went to by chance. And so t- t- those, those chance-chanced events are those times that we can be encouraged in our faith. Those are those times that, that we think about God's timing, or God's plan, and we sit there and we think, and, and one of my favorites is, we're almost to 11 years in Pennsylvania, but when we moved up here, we still had a house that would not sell in Kentucky. We listed our house in April. Ray graduated from seminary in May. We visited uh, Bethel Baptist Church in Mannheim for the first time the week before his graduation, and they called him to be their pastor. We had more showings per week than any other listing our realtor had had. We had a large number of second showings, but our house didn't sell. Finally, in November, we decided we can't wait any longer. They have waited for us long enough. We need to just go. The house had been on the market for six months at that point, for over six months at that point. Um, I continued working remotely for my job to finish a major project we were doing. The project ended in late February. Our insurance company, because our house was vacant, was going to cancel our homeowner's insurance at the end of March the same week that my job ended my job that was paying for the house in Kentucky was paying the bills for the, the utilities on the house in Kentucky because we had somebody come in and turn lights on and off and things like that that same week that my job ended we had an accepted offer on our house We were homeless for 10 days, 10 days prior to the day that the insurance company was gonna cancel our insurance. So my job ended. We had no more of my paychecks to pay the bills, but we didn't need those paychecks to pay the bills because those bills were gone. Um, The timing of this was not a coincidence. God wanted us to know that he was responsible for every detail of our move to Pennsylvania. Still, we think about Ruth. It just so happened that she came to Boaz's field. The fields would have been large. There weren't signs indicating whose field was what. Um, There would have been quite a few to choose from. Likely Boaz's would not have been the first field she came to, but that one probably, the closest one would have probably been the most crowded one, if you think about it. She would not have been in Bethlehem long at this point, and so she would have had no idea whose field she was going to. And yet God led her to just the right place. And then we finally get to see Boaz in action. Boaz comes to the field and it says, and behold, Boaz. There's a dramatic shift from Ruth laboring in the field. That hard work to, and behold, Boaz. You can feel the storyteller telling you it's about to get good, right? And so from, from verses 4 and 5 we learn some other things from Boaz, about Boaz. What are some other things that we learn about him based on verses 4 and 5? We knew he was a worthy man. We knew he was a relative. What what else he was do we know? Respected by his workers. Respected by his workers. He even put the Lord in his greetings. He put the Lord in his greetings. He would have thought of God very, very highly at that point. Clearly, he owned fields, and that put him with a good amount of money. And he had workers that were there working the fields that he didn't even have to be out there the whole time. But he must have been involved in those fields. Because in verse 5, we see that he quickly recognizes Ruth as being new. There's a new girl over here. And, and uh, the, the foreman, he, he asks about who Ruth is. And the foreman, the, but when, when he asks, sorry, who she is, he says, whose young woman is this? He doesn't ask about her. He asks who she belongs to. Women at that point, that wasn't a, a, an odd question to ask. They belong to a father or a husband. That's what he was asking. Um, but he, when he said whose young woman, this is something that implies that Boaz would have been older than Ruth. It was kind of like saying, whose girl is that? You know, if you think about it in today's language. Hmm? Um, but that phrase also indicates that she's of the age to be married. So uh, Boaz saw more than just a desperate woman. He wanted to know about her, and we're redirected with our focus back to Ruth. Boaz's attention is drawn away from the harvest that he came to check on, And drawn to Ruth. And then the foreman responds. Does anybody have the, either the NIV, or I think the King James also says it in that version. For verse 6, the NIV says, the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. And so that that Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, so in our, in, our, in our ESV it doesn't have it either, but her name, the name Ruth, is not even given in that verse. He's pointing out she's not just a visitor, she's not just a new girl to the field, she's, and she's not just a foreigner, she's a Moabite. He says it twice. So the but this is also a way that the foreman, the, the man in charge, is is just reminding Boaz and our author is reminding us of Ruth's dedication to Naomi. A side note Verse 7, you'll read it in a number of different versions, and it's going to look a little different in every single one. Um, the language there is um, a challenge for translators. The whole point, though, uh, the point that stays strong through all of them, is that Ruth stood out. Because she asked permission from the foreman, and she was working very hard, and that overseer, that foreman, that man in charge, took notice. So, as you continue to think on your passage this week, as you continue to move on, even to the next passage, um, take that extra step, where we've gone from we've gone from reading, and and. Now we've moved to interpreting some of those things. We're going to continue some of that in our small group time. But now the challenge is on you to, to do that application portion. We talked about the, the way that bitterness affected people. Is there something that you need to let go of? Some bitterness that you need to let go of? Maybe that's what God wants you to, to get from, from this. Maybe, um, maybe it's that he wants you to see his providence, and even the little things of finding the right place to shop for groceries or get your hair cut, while his final goal may not be marriage like it was for Ruth, God still has a plan for you in all those things. Maybe it's that simple reminder that I needed, again, to look at my folding laundry as a privilege. Um... And, and make it an act of worship. So this week, I, I challenge you, and if there's something else, that's amazing. That's great. Take hold of what it is that God is trying to teach you and run with it. Um, continue marking your keywords. We'll do verses 8 through 17 for next week. Think about your who, what, where, when, and why, and how. I think I got them all. And then Sandy has your homework for next week.